going to be going to Ephesians chapter 4 first. So if you want to flip open to Ephesians chapter 4, um, that's going to be one of our main passages. The other one is going to be in James chapter 1. So you can put an extra page over there or a bookmark if you got it. Uh, Ephesians 4 and James 1 are where we're going to start. Later on, we'll jump over to Psalm chapter 4 as well, but that's going to be later on. You can find that when we get there, okay? So we're in this new series called Destroying Strongholds, looking for these areas of our thinking, these patterns of thinking in our minds that are contrary to God, contrary to God's Word, and how we can take the truth of God's Word and tear down those strongholds, destroy them, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that we might walk in uh, the, the, the steps of Christ rather than in the steps of this world. And today I want to do one that I think um, all of us have experienced at some point and uh, some of us struggle with on a more regular basis than others, and that's destroying sinful anger. Sinful anger. So as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, um, how many of you are familiar with the movie Inside Out? Who's seen Inside Out? All right. um, it's an animated movie. Um, Courtney and I, we saw it. We loved it. Um, our kids did not love it so much. In fact, they refused to watch it anymore because of poor Bing Bong and his fate. Um, they just couldn't handle it. But, but we loved Inside Out. And um, so if you don't know anything about the movie, it'll kind of bring you up to speed here. So it's about this little 11-year-old girl named Riley whose emotional life is just turned upside down when her parents choose to move her from Minnesota all the way to San Francisco. All right, talk about culture shock, Right. But the movie's not really so much about her. It's actually the main characters are her emotions. And there's actually five emotions set in her brain or in her side herself um, that are, you're watching them, how they navigate all the things that are happening to her in her life. So you have uh, joy, fear, sadness, disgust, and anger. Uh, hence the illustration. And the, the whole movie is, is these five characters kind of jostling for control of Riley and how she's responding to certain situations. Now, Anger, he looks all proper in his white shirt and his tie and his, you know, dress slacks, and he's all good. And most of the time, he kind of hangs out in the back. He's not a real upfront character until something goes wrong, right? Until something that he perceives is not right, and then he springs into action and flames shoot out of the top of his head as he explodes onto the situation. There's this one scene where Riley's a little bit younger, and she's refusing to eat her dinner, and her dad tells her, if you don't eat your broccoli, you won't get any dessert. And it just sets anger off, right? He just, and just springs into action and is all in, that's the way you want to play it, Dad? And she goes into full tantrum meltdown because of the broccoli situation. Anger, although he, most of the time he's in the back, anytime something unfair happens, he jumps into action because he's the great protector, right? He's the, he's the emotion defender, and he's going to fight for what's right, even if it's reckless and dangerous at some times in the way in which he does it. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody ever experienced a little bit of Mr. Anger rising up, right? And the movie Inside Out, sure, it makes good humor of anger's outbursts, but it also reminds us of the irrational, destructive, and dangerous nature that anger can take on in our real lives. And so this week, I want us to dig into God's Word to see what does it tell us about sinful anger and how can we destroy this stronghold from 
our minds. And so here's, I think, kind of the major idea that we get from Scripture on this topic of anger, and that's simply this. I want to be controlled by Christ, not anger. Seems straightforward, right? (laughs) I want to be controlled by Christ, not by anger. And as easy as that is to say, it seems like that's a lot harder to do. So let's see if God's Word can help us with that this morning. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 26. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So that's Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Now jump over to James chapter 1. Let's go ahead and look at that as well. James 1, verse 19 and 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All right, so with those two scriptures in mind, here's the first point this morning. Be angry. Yeah, you heard it right. Be angry, which seems like a really strange thing to hear from the pastor in church, right? Because most time we think about anger as this negative, bad thing that needs to be erased or put away or problematic. But right here in the text, you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, it starts off in verse 26, and what Paul says, he starts with this statement, be angry. That's a command. That's an imperative in the scripture where he's telling us, like, sometimes it is right and just, and you should be angry, which is kind of a shocker. But anger isn't always wrong. It's not always sinful. Sometimes there's a good right, just anger that we're called to as Christians. Let me walk you through this. So in James chapter 1, 19 through 20, here's what he says. He says, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, we call that parallelism in the Bible, and so it's important to notice here that he's paralleling these two things, slow to speak, slow to anger. So kind of pull that apart for a second. We know that not all speech is sinful, right? Speech can be good, speech can be bad. You can use speech to encourage someone, to build them up, to to speak compliments, to, like, there's lots of ways that we can use speech in good ways. We can also use speech in bad ways, right? We can throw temper tantrums, we can yell at people, we can call them names, we can, you know, criticize. There's lots of bad, so speech can go either way, good or bad. Anger is the same thing, right? He's paralleling these two together here. Anger can be good, and it can be bad. We're really familiar with the bad side of anger, right? So let's see what the scripture tells us first about the good side of anger. So here's just a basic definition of anger before we even jump to the good and bad. Anger is simply this, to be mad over a wrong. To be mad over a wrong, right? It can be good, it can be bad. I found this quote from Alistair Groves. I think he describes anger really well here. Listen to this. It says, anger says... That is wrong. It is a fundamentally moral emotion. In fact, you could say that it is the moral emotion. And when you are angry, what is happening inside is this. Your heart is observing the scene before you and crying out that something you love is being treated unjustly. That's the heart of anger. So anger is actually connected to, even rooted in, love. 
In fact, the more you love something or someone, the more angry you will get when that thing is wronged. If you show me what angers you, I can dig underneath that and show you exactly what you love as a result of that anger. Doesn't this make marriage make so much more sense? <laughs> right? Like, how is the same person the person that you can love the most and yet get the most angry with at times? Because anger and love are actually very closely connected. The Greek word here for anger in these two verses is orge. It can mean anger, it can mean wrath, it can mean fury, it can mean punishment. And what's interesting about this word is that it's not just used for our anger in Scripture, it's also used for the anger of God in Scripture. Let me give you a couple of verses for this. Romans 1.8 It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Revelation 19.15 says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will thread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So in these verses we see that sometimes God gets angry. And when he gets angry uh, about what it says here, unrighteousness and ungodliness and a suppressing of the truth, which signals us that if that's what God gets angry about, guess what God loves? The opposite of all those things. The reason God gets angry is because his love for truth, his love for righteousness, his love for godliness is so strong that whenever it is opposed, it brings out the wrath and the anger of God. We see this in Christ as well. In Jesus' time when he was walking on earth in Mark 3, 5, he says, And he looked around at them with anger. He looked at the Pharisees with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So in this scene, the Pharisees are all giving Jesus trouble because he's, he's trying to heal people on the Sabbath. They're like, You can't heal on the Sabbath. That's work. And Jesus gets angry because of their hardness of heart. Because they're so wicked that they would rather a person continue to suffer in brokenness than be healed on the day of the Lord to keep their religious rules. And Jesus gets angry about this. This isn't the only place. We see a couple different places where Jesus gets angry when people are violating who God is and how he has led us to follow him. So you see, sometimes, by God's example, by Jesus' example, that anger is actually justified. It's righteous anger the Bible talks about. Sometimes it's even necessary. In fact, I would challenge that there are times where the bigger sin is not to get angry. Because when we don't get angry over the things that anger God, we're showing a coldness. We're showing an indifference. We're showing an apathy towards the injustices in this world that are opposed to God and to his truth and to his righteousness. I um, recently entered one of our girls' rooms. I was putting them to bed that night, and I go in, and I look, o- I look over at the, in the corner of the room, and on the closet door, she has posted a sign that says, no playing with Barbies. No, no, no. All caps, exclamation points, the whole thing. And I'm like, hey, babe, w- w- what is this? 
And she said, I'm so tired of my sisters always coming in here and getting the Barbies out all of my room and playing and then just leaving them and then I have to clean them up and it's not fair so they don't get to play with the Barbies anymore. And I said, well, you know, pause. First of all, they're not just your Barbies. Everyone shares the Barbies and so like we have to allow others to play with them and, and you know, that kind of thing. And she's like, but it's not fair because they, they get it all out and then I have to clean it up. And she launched into this very impassioned and tearful protest with me. And I said, no, mommy and daddy will make them help clean up too if they're, they're like, you say that, but then it comes time to clean our rooms and they're cleaning their rooms and it, they take too long and then I have to clean up my room and I end up having to clean up all the Barbies and it's not fair. And she was very upset because she felt as if she was being treated unjustly. And worse yet, mommy and daddy were allowing the unjust treatment, maybe even contributing to it. We were not seeing the problem and coming to her aid and coming alongside her in her anger. Sometimes I think God looks at us like that. As he's looking down at the injustice and sin in our world, and he's saying, look how, look at this. How is this not causing you to be angry over the affront that this is to who I am and to my righteousness and to my glory? But I think there comes a point where I think we just, we kind of become immune to it. We kind of become desensitized because we just, we see it and we, it just kind of becomes the norm for our life. We're kind of swimming in this culture that everybody says, oh no, no problem, it's all good. And we just kind of like, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to do with that. And injustice and suffering just no longer makes us angry. We slip into emotional indifference. Today, we're talking about sanctity of life, right? The fact that innocent children are being aborted has become so culturally familiar to us that the shock and the anger of it just aren't really there anymore. At least not like it should be. Every day, 2,500 babies are aborted in the United States. That's over 60 million in the last 40 years, or since Roe v. Wade. We should be angry about that. Because God is angry about that. And so often we just, we aren't. Not, not really. Not anymore. And it's not just that. I mean, that's, that was an easy example for today. It could be genocide. It could be um, racism. It could be human trafficking. It could be abuse. It could be any list of injustices that are all over the world, not just even in the United States. And I think most of the time what we do is we glance at them for a moment, and then we quickly look away or we walk the other direction because it's just too painful. It's just too much. It's the problem is too big. I can't do anything about that anyways, right? Like, that, that's way beyond me, so I just... I just can't deal with that, so I'm going to go this way instead. And instead of being angry in what God is angry about, we just kind of box it off. 
we avoid the conversations because they're too heavy and they're too heated. We don't want to offend or cause any problems. But if we were to allow ourselves to step in and kind of press into that anger that God is feeling, I believe it would cause us to, like in um, Inside Out, it would cause us to spring into action. Anger moves us to make right what is wrong. This is the power, this is the value of good, righteous anger, is that it moves us to stand up and say, that's right, I'm sorry, that's wrong, and we need to make it right. Rather than just sit in indifference. So the first thing I want you to pull away from today, before we even get to the stronghold part, is that when it comes to anger, I want to be angry about what angers God. That's where we should be as followers of Christ. I want to be angry about what angers God. Now, there's a right way for me to engage with that righteous anger. And that's what we're going to look at as we press deeper into the scriptures as well. So, be angry is the first point. Number two, this is right again from the scripture, be angry and do not sin. All right, so now we're going to get on the do not sin part here. So when we think about anger, and I look at it in the scriptures, I see that there's two major ways in which anger can become or is sinful, okay? It can be in the source or in the expression, all right? The source of the anger or the expression of the anger. The source of the anger is asking the question, why am I angry, right? And this goes back to James 1, 19 through 20 again. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So the first thing I need to examine in my anger is the source. Why am I angry? Because right here it tells me that that God's anger, as we saw earlier, that it flows from his righteousness. Right? The source of God's anger is that he is righteous and true and good and just, and anything that violates that, anything that goes against his character, causes him to be angry because of his righteousness. That's the source. But oftentimes, our anger, man's anger, as James refers to it here, does not flow from God's righteousness. It flows from self righteousness. My truth has been challenged or wronged in some way. My own justice has been violated, and I need to be made whole. I need to be made right, and so now I'm angry about that. You see, why I'm angry is the first indicator of whether or not my anger is sinful or righteous. Because if it's all about me and just getting my rights, my wrongs righted, then most likely, not always, but most likely, that's a sinful form of anger because it's focused on me. But if it's rooted in and focused on God's righteousness, now I have a chance to actually walk in godly anger with him. So the first thing is the source, all right? But the second thing that's probably more blatant is the expression, 
And this is the how I'm angry part. How am I expressing my anger as I experience it? Again, in uh, James 19, 1.19, it says, Be slow to anger. That is such a key phrase all throughout Scripture. Proverbs talks about it. Psalms talks about it. We have it here in Ephesians. And so if, if, if uh, James is telling us to be slow to anger, then we can assume that the opposite of that is sinful and problematic, right? Anger that is quick-tempered, anger that is rash, anger that is out of control, that is the sinful expression of anger. Let me give you some other verses for that. Ecclesiastes 7.9, Ecclesiastes, sorry, 7.9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. We don't want to be fools, right? Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So we see it again. Quick, hasty tempers are sinful. That's a sinful expression of anger, and honestly, that's the most common expression of anger. Can we agree this morning? But even when we jump to that quick, hasty form of anger, I think it can actually express itself in three different ways. One is really obvious. The other two may be less so. So I want to look at these three ways, because you might be sitting there going, you know what? I don't blow up at people. I'm, I'm good. But maybe you're just expressing it in a different form, but it's still a sinful form. Okay? So let's press in here. Three expressions of sinful anger. Number one, explosive. This is the one we tend to think about the most, right? The, the verbally aggressive or physically aggressive, I'm going to blow up at you, and you're going to know that I am angry. Proverbs 29 says this, verse 11 and verse 22. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Transgression is another word for sin, right? So he's saying here that full vent, when I fully vent my anger, when I jump to wrath in my words, I stir up strife, and it causes sin as a result, sinful anger. And the other thing that we see a lot in Proverbs that's tied to anger, and even in, uh, here in James, is speech. It's words, right? Because sometimes we blow up physically, and like we throw things or hit things, or like some people do that, but probably more common than the physical expression of anger is the verbal expression of anger. For we blow up with our words. So listen to this, Proverbs 15, 1 and 18. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So our words are so powerful. And they can, they can stir up more anger and more strife, and they can keep the, the conflict going, or they can bring calm and peace and quiet, depending on how we respond. And there's also another form of this, another kind of version of this explosive anger that I want to just touch on, just in case you might think you're getting off the hook today. And that's what I'm going to call the passive-aggressive form of anger. Right? I'm not going to raise my voice, and I'm not going to be, give full vent to my anger, but I'm still going to make sure that you know I'm angry through the use of my words. Proverbs 12, 18 describes it like this. He says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, 
but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know what I'm talking about? That person that when they get angry, they don't yell. They don't use volatile language, but they have those little jabs, those little sword thrusts, right? Sarcasm or smart remarks or playing the victim or whatever their method is to make sure that you know that they're angry and you're going to pay for it even if I don't blow up and lose my cool. That's all explosive anger. Those are the ones that we tend to look at and be like, yeah, that's, that's a problem, right? Like, we, we know for sure on that one. There's two other forms of sinful anger that are a little less obvious. The second one is what I'm going to call slow burn. The slow burn anger, right? Where this person, they're not going to blow up in the moment, but they're going to sulk, right? They're going to sulk in their anger. They're going to stew in it. They're going to give you the silent treatment for a couple days just to make sure that you know that they are angry about whatever it is. Going back to Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, notice what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, don't sit in your anger for days. Don't stew in it and run it over in your brain over and over again while you're just giving them the dirty eyes, right, for days on end. That's a sinful expression of anger. And it says here, more importantly, it gives an opportunity to the devil. You see, that one of the problems with sinful anger is, is it's like an open door for Satan to get access to your heart and to your life and to come in and cause all kinds of chaos. Because as long as you're stewing and you're staying in that sinful anger, you're not focused on Christ, you're not walking in the Spirit, and Satan can have a field day with that. So that's the second form of sinful anger. And Scripture tells us here to settle anger quickly, right? Don't let it last on. Get it taken care of. Resolve it. Third form of sinful anger, buried anger. All right? A little bit different than slow burn. This is the person that tries to, like, stuff it down, right? Like, they're angry, but they don't want anybody to know. So they just, like, stuff it down, hide it, keep it a secret. Maybe they're even in denial themselves that they're really angry. Like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm not angry. But down inside, man, they, it's just, like, eating them alive. Psalm 28.3 says this. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Fake nice is still real anger. Okay? Just because they're all nice and the speech is good to your face, and that, that doesn't mean that there's not still anger brewing underneath there. And if that's you, man, that is a sinful form of anger. Psalm 62, 4b says this, They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. You know, like when you hit your thumb with the hammer? And maybe the words don't come out, but you're thanking them, right? Like, let's just be honest today, right? That's this kind of anger. You're not saying it to anybody, but inside, it's there. It's there. So Scripture exhorts us to be gracious and honest with our speech when dealing with anger, not to stuff it and hide it in this way. So three forms of sinful anger, explosive, slow burn, or buried. 
And you might have a combination of those in your life at different times with different people. Okay? But all are sinful forms, sinful expressions of anger. So what do we need instead of that? We need to follow God's example, which says that God is slow to anger. Let me give you some verses for God exhibiting this slowness that he calls us to. Exodus 34, 6 through 7 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, uh, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of their fathers in the, on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So going all the way back to the Old Testament, we see here that God is a God who is slow to anger. Meaning, he doesn't punish us, he doesn't deal out his wrath for our sin the moment we do it. He's patient. He's slow to anger. He gives us time to repent and to be forgiven of our sins and our mistakes. It says it again in the New Testament, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient with us in his anger over our sin. And I am so thankful that he is. This is the heart of all that we are as a people. This is the heart of the gospel, right? That, that we are sinners. We have rebelled against God. We have went against his word. We have gone our own way, and re, re, regardless of what he says, we're doing it the way we want to do it. And because we have sinned against a perfect and holy God, we are separated from him, deserving his wrath and an eternity in hell. And he would be completely just. He would be a completely right and holy God to the very moment we sin to banish us to hell. Thankfully, he's not just just. He's also gracious. He's also loving and merciful, and he's slow to anger. That's why he sent his son Jesus to come and live a perfect and sinless life and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death in our place for our sin. He literally went to the cross so that God's wrath for our sin could be poured on him. And by suffering for our sin, we could be forgiven by a God who is slow to anger. And he went into the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God, that he had conquered sin, he had conquered death, and now he offers all of us forgiveness if we will turn from God and or turn from our sin and believe in the Lord. We can be forgiven by a God who is patient and slow to anger. But notice, he's slow to anger. Doesn't mean that he will never get there. And if we don't repent and turn from sin, there will be a day where we stand before God and give an account for who we are and what we've done. And if we don't have the blood of Christ covering us, we will experience the full wrath of God's anger. 
I hope that you've already put your faith in Christ, that you've made that decision to be forgiven and to get free from that wrath. But if you haven't, today can be that day. You don't have to stand underneath the wrath and the anger of God one more second. You can be forgiven if you'll trust in Jesus. And so if this is our story, that if we're a people who are sinful and yet God is patient with us in our sin, we are called to do the same for others. That when others sin against us, when they make mistakes, when there's other wrongs, yes, we can say that it's wrong, yes, we can call out the sin, but we can be patient with them and we can be slow to anger. Forgiving and loving them in spite of their mistakes. You know, if we're being honest today, we all have moments of sinful anger, right? Like, like hypothetically, a time-conscious dad could get angry when he's standing at the bottom of the stairs, and f- seven minutes ago, he yelled up and said, we're leaving in five minutes, and there's still no one downstairs. Like, hypothetically, that could make someone angry. And then when they finally did descend the stairs, and they have no coats and no shoes and no masks, and we've been wearing masks everywhere for nine months. How do you not have your mask? (laughs) Hypothetically, somebody could get angry. (laughs) And then maybe there would be an ultimatum that we are leaving, I will be in the van, get your masks, and he goes and sits and stews in the van, waiting for someone else in the family to please join him in the van so we can go to church. And then once everybody's in the van, you might stew on how this happens every week while you're driving to church, not on time. I don't, I mean, that's not me. Somebody that might apply to somebody here this morning. We all get angry at times, right? And in those moments... Both my, the source of my anger and the expression of my anger are sinful. Because what it's showing is that it's not about God, it's about me. It's about my love for perfection and my love for timeliness and my love for self image, and that I, that in this moment, they are somehow violating all those things and therefore they need to experience the wrath of my anger. But if I can step back and I can be slow to anger, remembering how patient the Lord is with me, then I can actually come to that situation with a more constructive solution and teaching and and come around that in a more Christ-like manner rather than the sinful explosion that oftentimes seems to come out. So we all have these personal moments of anger, and we should apply this to that. Some of us have an ongoing pattern of anger in our lives, and we definitely need to apply it to that. But I think it would be wise for us in this moment to maybe even take this and apply it even a little more broadly, not just to us personally, but to our culture at large. I don't know if you've heard anybody else talk about this, but many these days are talking about that we're living in the age of outrage. 
Have you heard this phrase? Have you heard this idea? It's that we, we have this constant ongoing outrage or anger towards things around us that is fed by this 24-hour news cycle, constant social media, highly divisive political climate, and very self-focused society. Ed Stetzer, one Christian author and pastor, writes it this way. He says, it seems our world only knows one way to respond to issues so as to treat them as significant. Outrage. Nuance, empathy, and exchange are interpreted as weaknesses. The only way that we can convey the importance is by shouting over the crowd. Secure within our echo chambers of our carefully crafted social media feeds, our society seems to be unnervingly willing to demonize anyone outside their walls. He goes on. Outrage is motivated by a desire to punish or destroy rather than reconcile and refine. It is frequently accompanied by hubris and a confidence in its judgment, categorically rejecting any nuance. Outrage is fast and decisive rather than reflective, choosing to exhibit God's retribution rather than reflect his persistent, steadfast love. And if I'm being honest, what I see as I look out across our country is that unfortunately many Christians are getting sucked into this culture of outrage just as much as anybody else. We attack others with our words, through posts and shares, and comments. We cut off and condemn anyone who strongly disagrees with our views. We jump to conclusions and verdicts before we carefully discern the facts that are getting and getting the whole story straight. We give into this culture of outrage, believing that the only way that we can be heard, the only way that we can hold on to what we believe in is to be a louder and stronger voice than the opposition. Now, let me be clear. We already said, I already said, there are some things in our world, in our culture, that we should be angry about. There are. But God tells us how to be angry about those things. First, we need to check the source. Why am I angry about this? Am I really angry about this because God's angry or just because I'm angry? And then the expression of that anger. How am I expressing this righteous anger over this injustice before me? God tells us how to do it. He shows us how to do it. Be slow to anger. Not quick-tempered, not jumping ahead, not, 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 not. <laughs> Slow to anger. Be patient in my anger so that I can proceed in it righteously and not sinfully. 
I want to be patient in my anger with others the way God is patient with me. I'm not saying don't be angry. There are some things we should be angry about. But let's be patient and slow to anger the way God is patient with us. So be angry and do not sin. With that in mind, I want to go to the third point today, which is simply this, destroy sinful anger. How do we do this? How do we destroy these, this mindset, these strongholds of sinful anger in our lives? I'm going to give you three pieces, all coming out of Psalm chapter 4. So flip back to Psalm chapter 4. Interestingly enough, this is actually the place that Paul is quoting in Ephesians 4 when he says, be angry and do not sin. He's quoting Psalm 4, and verses 4 and 5 actually give us a great uh, pattern of how to destroy sinful anger. So we're just going to use this. Psalm chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says this. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So three things. Number one, he says it right here, be angry and do not sin. There it is again. I want you to think about that phrase, do not sin, as a giant stop sign. Right? When anger comes, stop, don't sin. Right? Be angry, but don't sin. And I think Psalm, along with some of these other verses, give us great steps on how to not sin and be slow to anger here. So the first thing is pause. It says right there in the psalm, right? He says, ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. And he says, selah. Selah actually is throughout the psalms. It means to pause and to reflect on what has just been said. So he says, be silent. Pause. Wait. Don't jump right in. And then step number two, listen. That's what James tells us, right? Be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to anger. So when you start to get angry, pause, listen, get the full story, get all the facts, like don't let your emotions rule, and then resolve it. Again, they said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it just sit there. Move to resolution, and most of all, forgive. Forgive. In Ephesians chapter 4, a little bit further down in the passage, in verse 31 and 32, it says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice the trade there, right? Put away anger, put away slander, put away malice, put away all of that and replace it with kindness and forgiveness. That ultimately the answer to my anger is to forgive. Just as God in Christ forgave me. So, be angry and do not sin means to pause, to listen, to resolve, to forgive. That's the first part. Second part we see here from Psalm is ponder your heart. And I think this is the important piece, not just for dealing with anger in the moment, but for dealing with a pattern of anger over time in your life. It's to assess your heart. Why am I angry? Do some heart searching. Do some source work. Ask yourself this question. Why am I angry? Is it a righteous reason or is it a selfish reason? And a follow-up question is, what am I loving 
When I look at this anger, what's it pointing to to say, that's what I love and that's why I'm angry? And is that something I should be loving more than God in this moment? Am I loving God? Am I loving something else? And then if there's something to repent of, what do I need to repent of? If I am in sinful anger, what do I need to repent of? What am I putting ahead of the Lord here that's causing me to walk in sinful anger? So be angry, do not sin. Number two, ponder your heart. And then number three, the psalmist tells us here, trust in the Lord. He actually says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord, which is an important pairing because offering right sacrifices, what that meant for them was come and worship God correctly. And the reason we need to worship God when we're in the midst of anger is because we need to remember that he is God and we are not. He is the righteous judge. He will make all things right. He will punish and deal with all sin. That's not our job. We need to trust in the Lord that his character will stand. And even if we don't get to see it, and even if we don't know how he's going to do it, that he will right every wrong, even the ones that we can't. And so we don't have to live in sinful anger because of it. And as I trust the Lord, as I release my anger, and as I release the stuff to him, I'm then able to walk with him in the Spirit. I'm able to be controlled by the Spirit, controlled by Christ, and then I'm able to allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow in my life. Listen to this list of fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. It says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Anybody else notice that that whole list is basically the opposite of anger? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, like all of that. You don't get any of that when you're angry, right? But if I'm willing to trust the Lord with my anger and follow him, then the fruit of the Spirit can grow up in my life and I can have all these things. Who doesn't want to live a daily life filled with that rather than filled with anger. It's no fun to be angry. Not really. God offers us more if we'll trust in him. I want to destroy sinful anger so the fruit of the Spirit can grow in my life. I want to destroy sinful anger so the fruit of the Spirit can grow in my life. Because again, top of the day, I want to be controlled by Christ, not by anger. I know some of you out there, you've been dealing with a pattern of anger for a long, long, long time. And I have to believe that your heart is sick and tired of being controlled by anger. It's exhausting. It doesn't bear any good fruit. You constantly have to go back and redo and rework and apologize and fix things because your anger screwed it up. And there's a better way. Being controlled by Christ means trusting Him to
to handle the things that make me angry. It means responding to anger with his heart and his ways, not my own. It means making it all about him and not about me. So I want to encourage you today. Don't let anger control you anymore. Trust in the Lord. Release that to him. Let him do a new thing in your mind and in your heart today. Tear that stronghold down by the power of God's word. Stay with me. Let's pray and respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you, God, so much for this time to be here together, to gather, to worship, to sing. And most of all, Lord, just to hear from you, to hear from your word. Lord, this is an area we all struggle from time to time. Some of us more, some of us less. But Lord, we need your help with this today. Lord, thank you that you do not settle for anything less than truth and righteousness and justice. God, that's who you are. And so we know that we can trust you. We can trust you to always set things right because we are released from it. We are released from our vindication. Lord, because you can handle it. God, help us to be angry over the things that anger you, but also help us to respond with the grace that you give as well. Help us to destroy our selfish anger and set our love on you instead of on ourselves. Lord, we trust you today to handle our injustices. We release them into your hands trust you. We pray all this in Christ's name.